because we don't have the screen today, I hope that you'll turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to be reading verses 18 to 25, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. And also, I want to encourage you to uh, turn to Luke chapter 1 later. I'm going to be reading some uh, verses out of Luke chapter 1 also. And folks, uh, it is an amazing thing as we've talked about how God's Spirit inspired the writers of the New Testament. Um, as you already know, in Matthew, uh, he spoke about how God told Joseph what was going to happen. And in Luke chapter 1, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and explains the birth of Jesus to her. So God doesn't leave us in the dark. And God wants us to know what Christmas is all about. And that's what we've been learning about. That Christmas is God's gift to us, the greatest gift that the world has ever known because the Savior came from heaven to earth. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for these moments that we have to study the Word of God. I thank you, Lord, for the story of Christmas, not simply because it's a good and interesting story, but because the coming of your Son changed all of history. And, Father, we're so grateful that while we were yet sinners, your Son voluntarily gave up his throne in heaven to come to this earth. Lord, we've studied this story so many times, but once again we pray that we would come into your presence and into your word with humble hearts and open minds and that the Spirit of God might illumine this passage of Scripture so that we will understand truly the gift of your Son for us. In his name we pray. Amen. Let me read these verses, Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be of child with the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And again in verse 23, this is a quote from Isaiah 7:14 that we read earlier. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had born a son, and he called his name Jesus. You and I, for the last three weeks, have studied about the Christmas story. And here's some things that we've said. The Christmas story is Jesus' story. And it is the story of the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. He is Christ the Savior. This is the greatest story of history, whether it's past, present, or future. And Christmas is the story that changes hearts and lives eternally. Christmas is the story of the greatest gift of all, the greatest gift ever given. And the Christmas story has a divine purpose. In the last three weeks, there have been several questions that we've wanted to answer. And I pray that through the Word of God, we've done this. Number one, 
is Jesus God? And I hope that there is no doubt in your heart and your mind that Jesus truly is God in flesh, the one who came from heaven to this earth to show us the Father. Where was Jesus before the Christmas story? We spent time talking about how he was in heaven with the Father, that he was with the Father at creation. And so, again, this helps us understand the purpose of Christmas. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. But we've been studying in these last two weeks why Jesus came to the earth. And last week, and I want to just simply uh, highlight some things here. Uh, the Gospel of Matthew is so important because, first of all, Matthew becomes the bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament gave us the history of the Adam family. Remember we talked about this last week, how mankind chose to sin and rebel against God and be wayward, but God already had a plan before creation that he would send a redeemer to redeem all of the Adam family, all Mankind had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Who would this be that would come and redeem mankind? It would be God's own son, Jesus. Matthew also is introducing the true king, and we spent some time on that. Also, Matthew was a man whose life had been changed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And in just a couple of verses in, in Matthew chapter 9... Matthew lets us know that one day, even as he was away from God, out of God's will, that Jesus came to him and said, come follow me, and, and Matthew had done that. Well, folks, with all that in mind, let's look at what Matthew tries to tell us about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us in verses 18 to 25. And folks, I'm not deliberately trying to skip over the first 17 verses, and we just touched on this last week. I want to touch on it for just one more moment, and we'll go forward, okay? Why does Matthew begin his gospel with this book of the genealogies? Why does he take time to explain all the forefathers of, of Jesus as, as far as his human uh, background is concerned. To the Jewish people, knowing who your family membership was was very important. It established you as being a Jew, as being of one of the tribes. It established your right to inheritance. Well, Matthew is trying to set us up to understand that spiritually we can trace our genealogy back to the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where we're born into the kingdom of God. And again, I think all of this is so vitally important for us to understand the coming of Jesus. But secondly, I believe that Matthew wanted us to understand that Jesus Christ is a part of history. He was a real human being who lived on this earth. And, you know, and, and I'm not trying to, to knock uh, educational programming. I'm not trying to knock uh, public broadcasting. But, folks, there are still people that debate, was there really a man named Jesus? And, folks, he truly was a man of history, a man who came to this earth. And Matthew is trying to tell us that Jesus was a very real person. He was not make-believe. He was not a mythical person. He was not somebody that some religious people like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John invented. He was a real man. But, again, they tried to explain to us that he was the God-man, that he was the Son of God, that he left heaven, that he came to this earth. For you and I to know him, he must have 
taken on human flesh so that we could understand that God truly loved us. I'm not trying to talk in circles here, folks. There's so much to talk about in the event of Christmas. And folks, all of the Jewish history, all of the Old Testament had prepared the way for his birth. And the Jews were expecting a Messiah. Why did they miss that Jesus was the one that God had sent? Because of their disbelief. And that's a whole other sermon. But folks, God also, through Matthew and the other gospel writers, wanted us to understand that in his providence, he ruled and overruled to accomplish his purpose in the world, in history, in sending his son. And folks, there's something else. Just as a side note, the genealogy, these first 16 verses is so important because it illustrates God's grace. You and I know from studying this passage of Scripture before these first 16 verses that it was most unusual for a woman's name to be found in Jewish genealogies. Always the man was the one that was mentioned, but folks, in the genealogy here in Matthew 1, four women of the Old Testament are mentioned. Tamar, verse 3, Rahab, verse 5, Ruth, verse 5, and then in verse 6, Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, is implied. And folks, again, all this, God is saying, I'm going to use everybody in past history that was willing to obey me to be a part of my great work and my great plan. And folks, even mentioning these four women, and I remind you that Tamar uh, had a terrible relationship with her father-in-law. Rahab was a harlot. You remember her in the book of, of, of Joshua? Folks, or it might have been judges. I, I didn't write that down. But folks, listen, God used people like you and I to shape history. God wants to continue to use people like you and I as we spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to shape history. Folks, the world is not too far gone if the church of Jesus Christ will arise with the gospel and tell the world that Jesus is the Son of God and to save the world. Amen. Folks, it's not over yet. And the Lord wants us to keep proclaiming his gospel. That's another sermon too. But folks, there's something, and, and this is the reason I want to speak about the genealogy. In verses 2 through 16, the phrase father of is, is continued to be used. Let me give an example. Let me just read verse 2. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah. Folks, all through those verses, the father of is used, but when you get down to verse 16, listen to this. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, it does not say Joseph was the father of Jesus, does it? Now notice that. Let me read that again, verse 16. And Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. Folks, why would Matthew, is this a slip of his pen? Is this just a, a, a grammatical mistake that he's made? Absolutely not. Matthew is making a point. Joseph is not Jesus' father. Why? Well, who is the father of Jesus? And if Joseph is not his father, who is the father? Well, guess what? In verse 18 and verse 20, the angel tells Joseph who the father of the, uh, of the baby is. Listen, the, ch the child, Mary is a child of who? The Holy Spirit, verse 18 and verse 20. Folks, who is the father of Jesus? It is God. Now, I can't fully explain all of this stuff, folks, but I believe it. 
And I believe that's what led Jesus to say in John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. Folks, all of this, again, is something that is divine that is happening. So let's look in detail at, uh, at, at the story of the birth of Jesus, beginning in verse 18. And let me once again mention that the fact that Jesus is born of Mary in verse 16 demanded further explanation. Don't you think so? If Joseph was not his father, but Mary was pregnant, then how did all this happen? And folks, uh, I don't think God ever tries to convince us of believing something without telling us why we should believe. And in verses 16 and verse 18, it is made clear that Jesus' birth was different than that of any other child that was ever born. And again, Matthew points out Joseph was not the father of Jesus. Jesus was born of the earthly mother without the need of an earthly father. And folks, that's why the virgin birth of Jesus is so important for you and I to understand. And folks, I believe from the very get-go of his gospel, Matthew wants you and I to realize and understand that this is an act of God. Matter of fact, everything about the Christmas story is an act of God. If Jesus were conceived and born just as any other baby, then he would not be God. But because he is conceived of the Holy Spirit, Matthew is pointing out that he is the son of God. To come into this world, he must come through an earthly mother to become a man, but not to be begotten by an earthly father because he is the very son of God. The virgin birth is the key, a key, to understanding who Jesus is. In verse 18, Matthew emphasizes that all this took place when? Before they came together, it is his polite way of saying that Joseph and Mary did not have sexual relations before she became pregnant with Jesus. And it is told in verse 18 she was found to be a child of what? Of the Holy Spirit of God. And folks, again, I can't fully understand all this. But folks, any of us who have had children, I think you and I understand that even the act of conception is a miracle of God, is it not? And folks, listen, this birth of Jesus is an act of God that a virgin would have a child conceived in her womb by the Holy Spirit. And I hope some of us are saying, can I truly believe that? Can I truly believe that this happened? Well, let me get you to turn with me to Luke chapter 1, and I want to read verses 26 to, uh, to 38. And, and, and folks, I love the gospel of Luke. I love all the scripture. I, I keep saying I love, I love, I love. I, I really mean this. Luke, Luke was a physician. Now, surely not of a, calendar, a caliber of physicians that we have today, medically, with medical knowledge. But folks, he was a physician who had a spiritual knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke surely knew about the birds and the bees. And if you're a young person here, you probably don't even, that's such an old phrase, but that's when your parents wanted to talk with you about sex. When I was growing up, they called it the talk about the birds and bees. I don't know where in the world that came from, but birds and bees and, and sexuality among human beings, I don't know. But anyway, let me get back on point. 
Dr. Luke would have known about how children are born. Amen? Amen. And how children are conceived. And as he talks about the birth of Jesus, listen to what he tells us in Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. In the sixth month, and let me explain to you what that is. Uh, remember earlier in Luke chapter 1, uh, the angel Gabriel has come to Zechariah and says, your wife Elizabeth's going to have a child. That child becomes John the Baptist. He will be the forerunner of Jesus. But in the sixth month, month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, uh, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin. Now, folks, I want you to see this now. In verse 27, twice Mary is described as a virgin. To a virgin betrothed, and we'll talk about that in just a minute, to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Hail, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and considered in her mind what sort of greeting this might be. Now, again, just put yourself in Mary's place. Here's an angel that has come to you and begins to speak to you. Listen to what the angel is going to say in verse 30. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, verse 31, You will, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. Listen to this description of the Lord from the angel. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I have no husband? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. Read with me that next phrase if you've got your Bible open. The Son of God. That's the angel speaking, okay? Verse 36. And behold, your kinswoman Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let me highlight these verses that we just read. I'm not trying to insult your intelligence. But let me highlight these verses. Mary is a virgin, mentioned twice in verse 27. Mary acknowledges that she is a virgin in verse uh, 34 by saying, How shall this be since I have no husband in what she's saying, I've had no sexual relationship with anybody. And then the angel Gabriel begins his explanation about who this child will be. And beginning in verse 31 again, you shall conceive and in your womb bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be called great. He will be called the son of the most high. It, it, it gives a description of, of who Jesus already is. And and, and folks, listen, you might be wondering, well, can we really trust this? Well, let me get you to look back at chapter 1 of Luke, verse 19. Chapter 1 of Luke, verse 19. And I'm not trying to keep jumping back and forth, okay? But when the angel Gabriel comes to Zechariah, listen to what he says to Zechariah in verse 19. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel who stand in the presence of God 
and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Folks, let me tell you something about this, this angel Gabriel. He stands in the presence of God, and he has been called to be God's spokesman to Zechariah and to Mary. Now, in Matthew chapter 1, the angel there is not identified, so possibly it would be Gabriel there. But folks, let me point something out. If anyone is, is qualified to tell us what God is thinking, what God is getting ready to do, surely it would be an angel that stands in the presence of God in heaven. Does that make sense? Folks, this angel, just like the son, the son Jesus is sent from heaven to earth, this angel who has been in the presence of God is sent from heaven to earth to tell Mary, to tell Zechariah, this is what God's getting ready to do. Folks, can we believe this? My answer to that is absolutely, positively yes. This is the message from God Almighty himself through this angel Gabriel. And folks, when Mary questions, and, and, and rightly so, how can this happen? Gabriel, I've, I've, I've not been with a man. And in verse 37, Gabriel makes one of the most profound statements. For with God... Nothing will be impossible. And folks, what is so absolutely amazing is Mary's faith. I don't know how much farther we're going to get. We're going to go back to Matthew chapter 1. But in Luke chapter 1, verse 38, Mary said, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. You know what she's saying there? I will humble myself before God, and I will allow God to do whatever he wants to in my life. And folks... This is something that we need to meditate on for just a moment. And I'm not trying to establish worshiping Mary. She was just a human being like you and I. But folks, can you imagine, here is this, and, and, and certainly she was in her mid to late teen years. Here's this young teenager who has never had sexual intimacy with a man. She is engaged or betrothed, as you and I would think of the word meaning. And, and, and God's angel comes to her and says, you're going to have a baby. Folks, can you imagine, can, can you imagine in her mind she would have just begun to process, man, my mom and dad are going to be mad with me. Man, Joseph, what will Joseph do? Joseph can say, I'm not going to have anything else to do with you. I, Joseph could say, I know that I haven't had sexual relations with you. And Mary, you're pregnant. That's one of the reasons why in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew tells us how the angel came to Joseph in a dream to explain, Joseph, all this is out of your hands. This is the work of God. But folks, can you and I imagine how demanding Mary's obedience must have been in not only the next nine months, but throughout the life and ministry of Jesus? Now think about this for just a second. This young woman, Mary, not only will carry this child for those nine months and raise him, but she will see her son rejected by men and eventually crucified on the cross. Folks, this is obedience. It just, it's beyond my ability to comprehend this, this young woman's faith in God. And also for Joseph. Folks, she truly denied herself and took up her cross and followed God's will for her life. 
Well, at the time that we've got remaining, let's go back to Matthew chapter 1, okay? In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, we're told that Mary has been betrothed to Jesus. And, and let me explain to you what that means. And you've heard explanations before. Let me explain to you why verse 19 Joseph, being a just man and unresolved, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Joseph is in a dilemma when he finds out, and, and we're not told, does Mary tell, uh, tell Joseph, and I assume that that's what happened, does Mary tell Joseph, Joseph, I'm pregnant. <laughs> and you won't believe this, but I haven't had, <laughs> haven't had anybody else in my life. And Joseph by the Jewish law, could have written her a decree of divorce and could have washed his hands of her. We've got to fully understand the Hebrew marriage customs. Marriages were arranged in that day by parents. And after the parents arranged the marriage, then the marriage contracts were negotiated. And after these contracts between the man and the woman, the bride and groom-to-be, were, were accomplished, they were considered to be married. They were even called husband and wife, but they did not live together. After the contracts were drawn up for a year's time, they still lived with their parents. And during this year's time, it was a time for the woman to demonstrate her pledge of purity. Uh, the betrothal meant that she would not, of course, uh, be involved with any other man, especially sexually. During that time, during that one-year time, it's when Mary became pregnant. And so it meant that she obviously was not pure and she had not, she had not been faithful to the betrothal, and that's what Joseph would have thought. According to the marriage contract, if a woman was found to be pregnant during this time, uh, the husband was free to break away from her. Now think about this for just a second. Matthew tells us that Joseph, being a just, and, uh, a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Joseph was simply going to say, well, Mary, you know, this is not going to work out. Uh, you've been involved with somebody else. You're pregnant, and I don't want anything to happen to you. And think about this for just a second, folks. Remember back in the Old Testament, what was the penalty for adultery and for an adulteress? Remember? Remember we studied in John chapter 8, a woman caught in the very act of adultery, stoning. Mary could have been stoned to death by her community. And Joseph is trying to figure out a way not only to keep Mary from being disgraced, but from losing her life and the life of the baby also. So Joseph begins a plan to divorce her quietly. But folks, that's when God intervenes in verse 20. God's good at that, isn't he? When it seems like the world is getting ready to collapse and fall apart. Guys, can any of us imagine after you'd gotten engaged to your wife that she came up and said, man, I'm pregnant and this is not your baby? I mean, it would have just tore us up, wouldn't it? And I'm not trying to be... Um, sarcastic or, or a joke about this. So 
Joseph is trying to figure things out, but as he did, God intervenes and God reveals his will and his plan. In a dream, God reveals through an angel, a heavenly messenger, the plan he's got. And listen to what the angel says to Joseph. Do not fear to take Mary, your wife. Now think about this for just a second. There would be gossiping, there would be misunderstanding within the family and within the community. And surely people would be saying, how did she become pregnant? And I'm sure you can imagine if Joseph said, well, she's pregnant of the Holy Spirit of God. They would have laughed him out of town. But again, Joseph knew that Mary's condition was not caused by man, but by God. And folks, one of the most remarkable statements is found in verse 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. His name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Folks, think about this for just a second. Written as much as 700 years before Mary conceived by the Holy Spirit, Isaiah had been given a word by God and from God that a virgin would conceive and bear a son. Folks, is this not incredible? It was God's plan all along. You see, Christmas was planned from eternity. And folks, listen. Not only does Joseph hear from the angel that Mary's going to bear a child, he says... It's going to be a son. And you'll call him Jesus. That's verse 21. And again, no sarcasm is intended here. Please don't receive it in this way. But God didn't need an ultrasound to know that the baby was a boy. It was all his plan. It was all his plan. You'll call his name Jesus. You know, that was a common name among Jewish children. It's still a common name today. Jesus is what many call it instead of Jesus. But folks, it was not just the name, it was what the name stood for. It goes again back to the Old Testament. The word Jesus was the New Testament equivalent to the Old Testament Joshua, which means Jehovah is salvation. Folks, listen, this, this baby would come with a special mission And the angel says, for he shall save his people from their sins. That was the mission of Jesus, to save us, you and me, every sinner who's ever walked on this planet. And also, in verse 23, quoting from Isaiah, he'll be called Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. One of the great theologies One of the great themes of the Old Testament is the living God who comes and lives and dwells with his people. And again, the angel is reinforcing to Joseph what he fully can't comprehend, I'm sure, but what will fully be comprehended throughout history. This baby to be born would not only save people from their sins, but he would represent the presence of God with the people. Well, when verse 24 and 25, when Joseph woke from sleep, we've talked about Mary's obedience in Luke chapter 1. Now let's talk about Joseph's obedience. Listen to this, verse 24. 
When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. He took his wife. He did not reject Mary. And he did not know her, verse 25, until she had borne a son. And he called his name Jesus. Folks, what a story. What a gift. What a Savior. Let's pray together. Father, we've heard this story so many, many times before. But may we never grow tired of hearing how your son became man and dwelt among us here on earth. Lord, I thank you that at this season of the year that there is so much joy and happiness, Lord. So much togetherness as families. But Father, help us never to lose sight of the fact that our joy should be centered on the Son of God who came to redeem us, who came to be our Savior, who came to show us that God truly was dwelling with us. Father, this morning I pray for those that might be here that have not yet trusted your Son as Savior, not just for young children, Lord, but perhaps for adults, even senior adults, that throughout their life they've heard these passages of Scripture and they've heard the story of Christmas but yet they've never given their hearts and their lives to that baby that was born in, the, born in the manger. Father, this morning I just pray that you will take your word and your son and place it before each one of us. And for we who are Christians, Lord, may we thank you again for the gift of your son and for those that might be here that have not yet received him as Savior. May this, Lord, become the moment of revelation. May they see in that baby born in the manger the Son of God who took upon himself human flesh to show us your love. May they receive your Son and may they truly know the joy and the meaning of Christmas. Bless us, Lord, in these moments of invitation. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hymn of invitation this morning is Jesus Paid It All. That is number 249. Folks, this morning, again, I encourage you, if you haven't trusted Jesus, that you'll do that this day, and you'll truly know the meaning of Christmas.